Hey, was that was that piece on children's ministry not exciting? Uh, I so much appreciate Charles uh, creating that, and I hope it captures your imagination. And one of the things we want to do, is said we want to create environments, is this sanctuary is an environment. And so you notice that we have kids and we dismiss them, it really screws up all the seating in the place, and it's a mess. Some people say, why are those kids here? Why do we have to bring them into the church? And not very many people say that. The people that are, well, nobody here says that, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's not just enough for us to sit there and the kids who are here, you know, next to us or around us and they come up and we bless them. We want to take it a step further this year. And so what we'd like you to do is when you're walking onto the campus and whenever you see a child at any age, we want you to simply look at them and smile at them and say good morning to them. Try not to pinch their cheeks, you know, rough their hair. <laughs> but we want to acknowledge them. And we believe that part of incorporating everyone into this community is acknowledging them. And so at every level, as we roll into the fall, can you believe it? The summer this is our last really big hurrah of the summer. And then we transition next year, uh, next week, into a new series of Peter and we're off to the races in the fall. We want to acknowledge every person who comes on this campus in a way that understands that they have a name and they have a story. God has been working in them, and God wants to work in them and through them going forward. And so we want to start with the littlest of these, as Jesus said. And so, as you see children sitting around you, coming into the sanctuary, acknowledge them. Some kids will be uncomfortable by that, but you who are these people, I, I don't know them. But as we get used to that, I think it really helps these kids feel like they're part of this community. And as we dismiss them to their programs, uh, they feel like, you know what, I really am part of this. And I'm not just a, a, a token. Uh, aspect of it. So thank you for thinking that way and doing that and uh, going out of your way to, to acknowledge anybody and everybody, but especially these little children and, and teenagers as you see them on our campus. Well, it has been a great summer. We've had some amazing and wonderful uh, preachers this summer. It's been really fun to sit next to my wife in worship uh, most of the summer. And uh, we, we had this crowning event today as we worship the Lord. We are welcoming Dr. Bill Creasy uh, into our presence. And, uh, Uh, whether in person or on your DVD, or your, uh, what do you call it, an MP3, whatever player. Uh, about 13 years ago, was it 97? 1997, somebody called me and said, you know, some pastors are, are, are being asked to endorse uh, this guy, Bill Creasy, to come down and go start a Bible study. And uh, as I learned about Bill Creasy, I thought, what a fascinating thing that this university professor from UCLA, who's been teaching... Uh, Bible's literature program that's been capturing the hearts and minds of university students has also been doing that in the community. And I think uh, Dr. Greasy teaches several thousand people every week from Malibu down here to San Diego. And other teachers have come alongside him and Lotus Ministries has really expanded. They have an amazing website that you'll uh, really enjoy getting to know about and uh, being a part of. And so we adopted early on Bill's Walk through the Bible. I think it started, you know, walk through the Bible in 20 minutes, now it's 20 years. I think it takes it to really get you through the whole thing. But uh, it became really the, the foundational Bible track in our church. And it still is. And we, we, we create DVDs to have the best of Creasy. So we say that we say that people listen in, in 12 hours, you can get an overview of the Bible, and if, if that what's your appetite, then you can go through the entire Bible. And so we love all the amazing Bible teachers in this church. Uh, Mary Rumsey, uh, we love uh, Joan Capen, and all of you who have been teaching uh, one class or another. We love uh, Dana McCurrick, 
uh, VSF. And so we want to hold up everybody who teaches God's Word. And Bill Breezy is part of that exalted pantheon of people who God has used to bless us immensely. And so it's, it's with a great deal of esteem and affection and appreciation that I welcome Dr. Bill Creasy to preach today. Well, how do I live up to that? Let <laughs> me,
The topography of the land is extraordinarily important. Way up on the top, where we see the white, that's actually snow because it's a satellite map. At almost 10,000 feet above sea level, we have Mount Hermon. It's the source of water for this land. There are three major runoff streams that come off Mount Hermon to form the Upper Jordan River that flows into the Sea of Galilee. From 10,000 feet above sea level to 700 feet below sea level, we have a 10,000 foot vertical drop in a very short distance. The Sea of Galilee here is a freshwater lake filled by those runoff streams of Mount Hermon and by a number of springs that are in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee under the water, warm springs that flow upward. The Sea of Galilee itself is about 11 miles long, 7 miles wide, and 138 feet deep. I know that because I dove it once. And went all the way to the bottom just to say that I did it. So the Sea of Galilee is a major freshwater lake. On the western side, over here, we have the Arbel Cliff. We'll be looking at that in a moment. On the eastern side, we have the Golan Heights. The sun rises in the east over the Golan Heights and sets in the west beyond the Arbel Cliff. In the evening, on a full moon, the moon rises from the east over the Golan Heights at about 4 o'clock. We think of the Sea of Galilee as a clock. At about 4 o'clock, the moon will rise over the Golan Heights and begin traversing across the sky. It is a gorgeous scene. We travel to Israel at least once a year. Uh, we'll be leaving for Israel October 3rd, uh, only about a month away. And that will be my 44th trip to Israel. We have a group of 50 people going with us, and we'll be exploring the land. The land. St. Jerome called the land the fifth gospel. It has a story to tell, and it informs all the stories that we read about that take place in this land. So the Sea of Galilee is a major important place in Israel. It's the place that Jesus chose to fulfill his public ministry. 90% of the events that we read about in the New Testament, in the Gospels, 90% of what Jesus says and does takes place on or around the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a very small location, no bigger than a neighborhood. Why, you can go all around the Sea of Galilee from 12 o'clock down to about 7, and that's basically where Jesus' public ministry was, and it's no more than from the parking lot here uh, out to the 5 and maybe up the hill a little bit. Not very big at all. So when we go to Israel, we leave LAX, we get on a plane, we fly to Newark, then from Newark to Tel Aviv, and from Tel Aviv, we get out of the airplane, pick up our baggage, get on the bus, and go right up to the Sea of Galilee. At the Sea of Galilee, we have dinner that night. We had breakfast in San Diego, dinner at the Sea of Galilee. And we wake up in the morning, and we have the Sea of Galilee out before us. Here's the sun coming up over the east. The Golan Heights, you can see in the mist in the distance. It's almost always hazy because, after all, you are 700 feet below sea level. 
with a big bowl of water surrounded by mountains. So we see the Golan Heights just barely in the background here, and the absolutely gorgeous, beautiful sea of Yalmi. First thing we do in the morning is make our way up to the Mount of Beatitudes. We're standing now at 11.30 on the Sea of Galilee, looking down at the west and northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. This field, and it's springtime in this photo, you can see the dirt road going down here. We can walk down that dirt road, and we used to be able to sit on the hillside. Notice the shape? It's like an amphitheater. It's private farmland. The man who owns it put a fence up because all these crazy Christians kept walking in this field. So we can't walk down there now. I can show you a picture of it. But when Jesus would teach and preach, we see 5,000 people gathered. And he's teaching and preaching not with a microphone, but with his voice. And where would people sit? Right here on this natural amphitheater. And Jesus' voice would carry. The acoustics are perfect, absolutely perfect. In fact, some time ago, back in the 1980s, a graduate student uh, did a study for his PhD dissertation and measured the acoustics in this natural amphitheater. And it's, it's like the Disney Center up in LA. It's just perfect, a perfect location. So he spent an awful lot of time right in this area, North Shore of the Sea of Galilee, the Mount on the attitudes. Then we walk down to the bottom. Next slide. And we look west and we see the Arbel Cliff. If you walk through the pass and go out that way, you'll get to Nazareth in about an hour. Well, if you're driving that way, you get about an hour. But the Arbel Cliff is about 700 feet above the surface of the water. And right up on top, we make our way up around the other side and walk out to the top. And what we see from the top is the next picture. We're on the cliff. Don't get too close to the edge. And I'm teaching here a group of folks. And here's the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Go on nights over here. And around we come. Capernaum is about here where Jesus had his uh, had his home, uh, where he lived for three years. And if you look all around, and I love doing this up on the Golan Heights, to take the Bible, and I use the Gospel according to Mark, and move through it rather quickly, and every time a place is mentioned, standing on the Golan Heights, point out where it is. 90% of what he says and does takes place within view of that of us standing on the cliff. Standing on the cliff, we can see 90% of Jesus' public ministry. It's an extraordinary thing. From the Golan, uh, from the Arbel, go back now, to Capernaum, the town of Jesus. Jesus chose to live in Capernaum because he had friends there. Peter, Peter lived there. Andrew, James, and John were from Bethsaida, about two miles north. And the Capernaum is right on the water. It's a fishing village. And we have the archaeological remains of that village even today. We go and visit. Uh, I can get, this doesn't mean no short people. That means 
But we go inside and we look at the archaeological site. And they've done a great deal of work there. Here, for example, is the synagogue. Remember we read about Jesus teaching in the synagogue? We heard about the Roman centurion who was a good man who helped to build the synagogue. We read about Jairus who was the synagogue leader whose daughter died and Jesus brought back to life. Here's the synagogue. It's the reconstructed portion uh, of the synagogue. And we go inside that synagogue and teach the stories that took place right there on site. Right on site. And so many stories took place around or on the Sea of Galilee. The topic is favorite places. And I can't think of a place, to me, that's more favorite than the Sea of Galilee. I, I can stay there forever. It's an absolutely wonderful place, and a place that, let's jump back on, a place that adds color, tone, and texture to the stories that we read. When we read the Bible, we read it in black and white. After we go to the Sea of Galilee, and we teach the stories on site where they take place, from ever after, you read the Bible in living color and Dolby sound. It is a terrific experience. So many stories took place there. And one of my favorites I'd like to turn back to uh, in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 at verse 1. Now immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So they leave the west side of the Sea of Galilee where we saw the natural amphitheater, and he goes to the other side. When we read about Jesus going to the other side, it's always to the east side, the Golan Heights side. Now the context for our story, Jesus had just learned about the death of John the Baptist, that Herod had murdered John the Baptist. Who was Jesus' relative? They were very close, and it's a stunning announcement to him. He knew that he and others would pay a price for the gospel. John the Baptist was first paid. And Jesus learns of his brutal beheading. He needs time by himself to process all this, to put it together, to understand what it means, and to confer with the Father about it. So he goes to the east side, the Golan Heights side. There's almost no population over on that side. The west side. Are all the, that's where all the fishing villages are, the northwest, because of those warm springs underneath draw all the fish up north, not down south. So all the fishing villages are on the northwest side, and not a whole lot over on the Wolong Heights side. It's a very isolated area. So he dismissed the crowd, he got in a boat with his disciples, and they went across the lake, seven miles across the lake, to the Wolong Heights side. When evening came, he was there alone. He went on to the Golan Heights. He left his disciples behind. He needs private time. He went up on to the Golan Heights and he spent the night in prayer. Around 4 o'clock in the morning, he was ready to leave. And he went down the Golan Heights and he saw two things. Number one, as he was walking down the Golan Heights toward the Sea of Galilee, and looked out on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples were rowing back home 
to Capernaum. They were midway in the lake. That is about three and a half miles. And the wind was blowing against them. And we saw a picture of the Argyle Cliff. Go directly west from the Argyle Cliff to Nazareth, directly west to the Mediterranean. Every afternoon at about 3 o'clock, the breeze picks up from the Mediterranean and blows from west to east. It crosses the Jezreel Valley, an open plain, and it narrows, funnels in at the Argyle Pass, what's called the Pass of the Doves. And all that wind comes together in a very narrow place, which increases the speed of the wind. It comes out across the Sea of Galilee, and it blows hard, starting at about 3 in the afternoon. And it continues until late into the night. Well, as the disciples are rowing toward the west, they're facing the east, and the wind is blowing against them, right? Jesus comes down off the Golan Heights. And he sees the boat out there, and Peter, Andrew, James, John, and the others are struggling against the wind. He looks to the right on the shore, and all of those people he had dismissed on the west side had seen him go over to the east side, and they went right around the northern portion of the Sea of Galilee, and they waited for him. Well, great. He had some real intense prayer time he needed, and he didn't need 5,000 people on his heel. Sort of like walking through life with gum on your shoe. Couldn't seem to get rid of them. They went all the way around the other side and they're waiting for it. He doesn't want to deal with 5,000 people. You know, what's going to happen here? He looks out on the sea gallery. He sees the boat. He sees the people. He wants to go home. He has two choices. Go around the sea of Galilee, around the north shore, and encountered the 5,000 people, or take a straight line from point A to point B and go right across the lake. Every single miracle that Jesus performs in the Bible has a moral or didactic purpose, except this one, the walking on the water. It's the only one that doesn't have moral or didactic purpose. Why does he do it? He just wants to get home. <laughs> he doesn't want to deal with 5,000 people. So what does he do? He walks right out on the water and is walking home. It's seven miles across. The boat is three and a half miles out. Well, when evening came, he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against him. During the fourth watch of the night, between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Now picture the scene. Peter, Andrew, James, John, and the others are in the boat rowing. They're facing the Golan Heights, rowing west with the wind blowing against their backs. It's just after Passover in our story. And Passover is, is always at a full moon. That's how you date Passover. It's like Easter's floating holiday according to the lunar calendar. It's full moon. So a full moon has risen in the sky over the Golan Heights. Getting the picture? Jesus is walking toward them. The wind is blowing against him. His garments are blowing out behind him. And the full moon is behind him, backlighting him. So what do the disciples see as they're rowing? 
they see moving toward them a white figure with garments flowing out behind, totally shadowed in the front by the full moon behind, and he's moving across the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It, it, it's a ghost, they said. Well, if we saw him, we would think it's a ghost too. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus immediately said to them, Oh, don't worry, it's only me. Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, when he said that, can't you just see the other side of the boat? <laughs> and Jesus. Now, we can't see his face. He's a shadow. But he's thinking, this is going to be good. <laughs> come on, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat and walked up the water. Peter gets out of the boat. Over the edge. Try it out. And he's looking at Jesus, and he begins walking toward him on the water. But when he saw the wind against him and blowing Jesus' garments up behind him, and it's a very strong wind, when he saw the wind and the waves, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Now I gotta tell you, I'm dying to see a hell. You don't begin to sink. If you step out of a boat onto the water, you go to the bottom like a chunk of lead. Just like that. Peter looked and suddenly he dropped. And he said, save me! And Jesus reached down and just caught him by the hand as the hand was going up to the water and lifted him up. He caught him up, and he said, you have a little faith, why did you doubt? Now, this is not a rebuke. This is funny. It's meant to be a funny scene. They got back in the boat. Now, can you imagine the disciples in the boat? They are rolling in laughter. They are. And Jesus got back in the boat, and when he said, you have a little faith, why did you doubt? I have no doubt in my mind. But he got Peter in a headlock. Moved his head and said, "Shoot, okay, what are you thinking here?" And the others are laughing. When we climb back into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, "You are, you are the Son of God." You know, there's so much humor in the Bible, and this story is a funny story. And the land, a place, makes the story without knowing about the Sea of Galilee. 11 miles long, 7 miles wide, 138 feet deep. When I dived it, I got to the bottom. It's very murky. Uh, two feet of visibility at best. And I'm descending down. I have no idea how deep it is. I'm watching my death page, and I'm looking at 90 feet, 100 feet, 120 feet, 130 feet. And then all of a sudden, mud is coming up at me. 138 feet, right there. 138 feet. And what did I find on the bottom? Peter's wallet. <laughs> without knowing the sea of Galilee, without knowing that the wind comes off the Mediterranean at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, builds up volume and speed well into the night, 
without knowing the seven miles, three and a half miles of boats in the middle, without knowing the lay of the land, the topography, the colors of the land, without knowing the feel of the land, the smell of the wind. When we go to the Sea of Galilee, we go out at night on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and tell this story and add all the color, tone, and texture to it in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And it is such a rich location, such an incredibly rich location for the stories of Jesus' life and times. It's my absolute favorite place. And when we leave the Sea of Galilee, here we are uh, looking westward, um, with the sun going down, and we finally, after that, make our way to Jerusalem. A whole different experience there. But I always regret leaving the Sea of Galilee. Can't wait to get back to it one more month, and we'll be there. But the places of the Bible. I remember my, a few years back, uh, my brother uh, is a Presbyterian uh, missionary, and he never got out of Pittsburgh where I grew up. Neither did my other brothers or my family. People grow up there and they stay there. You know? And I invited him to come with us on a trip to Israel. And he said, you know, I don't really, I've never really been interested. I, and so I said, you know, the Lord's present here. The Lord uh, is here among us. And two or three gather in his name, he's here among us. And I, I don't really feel any need to go there. But I talked him into it. I paid for him. <laughs> so he went. And when we were on the Mount of Beatitudes, looking out over the Sea of Galilee, you know, sketching out much of the story that I told this morning, uh, afterward, my brother said, you know, it's sort of like when we grew up. And my mother died when she was 47 years old. And Don said, you know, coming here and seeing the land, your eyes see what Jesus saw. Your face feels the breeze that he felt in the direction he felt it from. You hear the birds. You smell the air. And it makes him so much more real. These stories happen in real time and in real place to real people. And being at the Sea of Galilee, on and around, and recounting the stories on site, there's nothing like it. It will change not only the way you read the Bible, it will also change the way you know Christ. You know him in a much more personal, much more intimate way when you see what he saw, feel what he felt, and hear what he heard. When you read the stories in their full context of color, tone, and texture. So if you have the opportunity, by all means, make the trip with me, with Steve, or with someone else. It will absolutely not only change your life, but change fundamentally your relationship with Christ. Father, we thank you for all your blessings. We thank you especially for the blessing of being here this morning, gathered around your word, talking about favorite places. The Sea of Galilee was the place that your son chose to spend his public ministry. It was a place that he dearly loved, a place where he lived, a place whose people he knew, whose people he healed, whose people he saved. Yes, salvation is for all of us in the world, but it started 
right there in something no bigger than a neighborhood. Help us to see how extraordinary that really is. And in doing so, draw us into an ever closer relationship with your son. And we ask in his name, amen. amen. Thank you. <coughs>